Hello everyone, this is Shannon Torrance, and you're listening to or watching Magic is Real. Today my guest is Sarah Tyler Walters. Sarah is a well-respected and renowned UK-based transmedium and intuitive coach specializing in soul-led living, who primarily channels messages from her spirit communicators, Master Chow and the Oracle, to both individuals and groups. If you enjoy this podcast, and I really hope you will, it would mean a lot if you can like, subscribe, rate, and share with like-minded friends. Thank you so much. Now here's my interview with Sarah Tyler Walters. Hello, Magic is Real listeners. I'm Shannon Torrance. Today I have with me Sarah Tyler Walters coming to us from the UK. Sarah is a trans medium and an intuitive coach. I'm very excited to have her here because transmediumship is not something that I have covered before on the show, and it's a very interesting medium, pardon the pun, the, the, the <laughs> double, the double uh, meaning on that word, but um, I'm really happy to have her join us today so she can explain to us what it is, what she does, and what she knows about the spiritual world. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being here. And thank you for having me, Shannon. My absolute and pleasure. Don't worry about the pun I loved the pun <laughs> I, often, I often do the I'm a medium but I also happen to be an extra large so yes. I like puns yes I'm all about the puns so Sarah let's start off by having you explain what it is that you do so as you said in the introduction I am a trance medium I'm also an intuitive coach I teach and then I do trance healing amongst throwing pretty much anything else in there that you can think of to do with spirit. So first and foremost, I am a trance medium, which is the oldest form of mediumship. And I know you've had one of my dear friends, Leo, on, who is a mental medium. So I imagine you and your listeners are very used to the idea of a medium bringing through messages from loved ones. Yes. That's done through the mind. So it's like a relay. The medium gets the information and then the medium gives you the information. Well, with trans mediumship, my job is to get out of the way, to enter into an altered state and to allow spirit to blend with me and to communicate directly. So Master Chow steps in and speaks for himself. So there's no relay. I'm not present. I don't know what he said. Um, and it's more direct, it's more unfiltered in that sense, because obviously, as a human being, we are a filter, our own beliefs and expectations of someone getting the way a little bit. So this way, spirit can speak with less of those filters in place. Very well said. Yeah, they can also speak for longer. Right. So if you think about a mental medium, they're relaying short bits of information to you. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a couple of sentences backwards and forth. Yeah. Whereas Master Chow can speak for anywhere between two, two and a half hours. Wow. In one sitting. Right. And what we will be talking about, don't worry, everyone, I'm going to get to this. I do want to find out how you specifically connected with Master Chow, yeah. how he became your, what do you call him, uh, your master your guide your, what what do you refer to him as he is a spirit communicator great great not not my guide that is right. a common misconception right 
really commonly done that they call trans mediums have it's their guide that speaks through them right. and it isn't and even historically they weren't referred to that they were referred to as our control right but that isn't a very comfortable word um but what he is is a communicator that's his function his agenda his reason for coming forward is to communicate with humanity Perfect. so he does not guide me right we have a working relationship rather than a personal relationship mm-hmm. though I do often joke that we have been together longer than most marriages right because <laughs> we we have been getting we've been together now getting on for 17 years right and do you speak with him when you're not actively channeling um, um in your in your regular life day to day about what he wants to do yeah so not about my own life mm-hmm so about the work, about what he wants to do, about the lectures he wants to give or the masterclasses he wants to teach. Um, he also, uh, for 10 years, has had his own Twitter account. He writes blogs. So for the work, we do have a dialogue. But for me, for my life, I talk to my own guides and he's always listening anyhow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more work specific. That's so interesting. Well, what I'm going to do is I'd like to start with um, before we get into how you discovered Master Chow and vice versa mm-hmm. and how you got how you got into this work, I'd love to know anything you're comfortable sharing about you, Sarah, a human mm-hmm. being, where you grew up, how you grew up, what your spiritual attitudes might have been, and just sort of who you who you are as a human being. Okay. Um, London born and bred. Um, my parents, uh, we, we jokingly call them river rats because they've always lived near and on the River Thames. So very much from, you know, that kind of working class background, but I am third generation maternal and paternal. Mm. So we know it goes back as far as that. It could very well go back further in both families. We just don't know. So I am extremely lucky. I grew up in a family where talking to spirit was not strange. So the fact that I've been talking to dead people since I was a little kid was perfectly normal. No one battered an eyelid in my house. I've told them things. I've said, you know, I've, when my grandmother died, it was me who told my parents that she passed away before the phone rang. Totally took it in their stride. Mm. And I know how exceptionally lucky that makes me because I know mediums who have grown up in families, the complete opposite to that. Right. Where the idea of spirit, spiritualism, anything to do with that is seen extremely badly. Yeah. I know what a gift it was to have the parents I have. And my brother is also very into this, though he's fallen, 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 gone down a, a Wiccan path. So he's more into the Wiccan and the Druidic. Mm-hmm. Um, and him and his wife perform hand fastings. There are high priests and high priestess and they do hand fastings. So there's a lot of this context of spirit in the family. So as a child, I saw dead people everywhere. Yeah. To the point I didn't always know the living from the dead. That's what I was going to ask is, did you mm-hmm. see them as clear as you see your, your family? Clear as I see you full color you know as I said I didn't always know that I was talking to a dead person sometimes it was obvious 
Sometimes it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd walk into my home and they'd be, you know, having a party in my living room and I'd have to sort of go, no, you've got 10 minutes and I needed, I need my room back. And, you know, I'd bring them home with me from school and the underground in London was not a sensible place to go when you bring home dead people. Um, <laughs> but my parents just took it in their stride. It was just, you know, that's what Sarah does. Yeah. Um, and even to the point when I stepped into trans mediumship and became a professional trans medium, my mum was on the phone to all my aunties to say, oh, Sarah's a trans medium, to which the reply was, well, it's about time. We wonder when she'd get round to it. Right. You know? So no surprise to anybody in the family that working for Spirit was where I was going to end up. Yeah. And how did you distinguish as a, and I know when you were a child, it just was so natural that you yeah. didn't think, oh my gosh, there's a man in my room or something. But how did you distinguish? Oh, no, between... no, to, no, well, no. To, to be honest, I have lost many a bedside table lamp because okay. I have thrown it across the room as a possible intruder. So, <laughs> okay. You know, I, at two, three o'clock in the morning when you're half asleep, survival instinct kicks in yes so, yes I have thrown several things across my bedroom when it's been a spirit coming instead of an intruder so even knowing that I see spirit I still have the instinct to to protect myself and I will still yeah. go to is that a real person rather than a dead well person? right I mean that's the thing I wonder how as a child you were able to distinguish between safe people or yeah. unsafe people versus is this a spirit or is this a bad person couldn't always no yeah you know, just... it's a very fine line and you know you know seven or eight you can't distinguish it's seven or eight there's a figure at the end of the bed you, you know um so yeah some of the time it was really clear that they were okay mm -hmm. but in the early hours of the morning it doesn't matter how nice they are no. you're going to be startled and you're going to be triggered so you know I always say to my students when they go I really wish I could see spirit be careful what you wish for yeah because it will be at two three o'clock in the morning and they will be manifesting an, an apparition in your bedroom and you will be terrified yeah you know it's it's that's just an easy time for them to do it because right. of how brainwave patterns are at that time we're very receptive right you know, students still want to see they still think it's going to be some glorious manifestation in broad daylight Right. It rarely is. It, it usually is a shadowy figure out of the corner of your eye or something. Yeah. But as a kid, yeah. I mean, I had full apparitions where I could see them like you. I had shadowy figures. I had objects moving, got dragged out of the bed, all sorts of fun things yeah. going on as a kid. Now, you've talked about how this ran in your family. And I've, I often ask, why do you think that some people are able to see through the veil and others aren't? I think children often are regardless yeah. yeah children are incredibly sensitive because of the way your brains are configured as you're growing you are so much more sensitive to this stuff you don't have the filters that adulthood give you that it's not real that make you less susceptible so mm -hmm. I think as a child it is really common for them to have some sense of spirit but from the point of view of where I've ended up in my life, it's because this was a calling. This was very much something yeah. my soul had agreed to do in this mm -hmm. life. Um, as a trans medium, it's a calling. Yeah. It's not a, I fancy that, I think I'll give it a go. It's being completely driven by the soul. That, no, this is what we said we will do in this life. And it was for me to get to a point that I got on board with that decision rather than going, I've got free will and I say no. 
Yeah. So very much a soul-led thing, very much driven by the soul as a choice. Right. Um, and when you were younger, do you remember, did you know what you wanted to do with your life when you grew up? Or was it just something, did you have a specific thing that you, you thought, oh, when, I, when I'm an adult, I'm going to be a veterinarian? Or do you, were you not even thinking about it? No, uh, very bizarrely, I didn't expect to live beyond the age of 21. Why was that? I, I, because I did used to know things and see things and, and I never saw anything beyond certain events. So I never expected to live beyond 21. So I never ever thought about what I would be when I grew up. I never had any of those ambitions to do anything. I was in the theater, I loved acting and dancing and singing. And so if I was leaning anyway, it would have been to have pursued that in some ilk. Mm -hmm. Although I, I knew it really in my heart, I wasn't good enough to make it to yeah. any sort of level. That was sort of the passion, if you like. But no, beyond the point of 21, I really didn't have any expectations of, of anything. Right. Um, so there were no plans to do this or to do that. Um, I guess having spirit in my life was always something I expected. Mm -hmm. um, so when they weren't for 10 years, it was a real trauma and a real curveball to have them missing for 10 years. Um, but it was all part of the process, all part of the shift and all part of the preparing the groundwork, if you like, um, yeah. a step into the role. Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about that. So I'm assuming that for those 10 years, you were just doing life, working uh, and yeah. Yeah. It's. And you don't have to was, go into any detail, yeah, but just. There were some shifts and changes that had to happen. There were some, and again, I think it was very much because of this 21 year old marker um that had to be kind of worked with so there was a period of 10 years when spirit didn't communicate with me at all okay um and interestingly enough at that time also my psychic ability just got turned off so yeah. I had to be very very grounded and very very physical after being very very spiritual and using my psychic instinct more than perhaps my physical instinct so it was a real shift in gear so you know I've been very very spiritual to the point of almost floating on the ceiling to mm -hmm. very very grounded to very very heavy so I've kind of done both extremes so that does teach you a lot yeah um, I, yeah and builds a very different type of relationship with spirit because they know what it's like when they're not there and I know what it's like when they are there and I and it's it's this kind of relationship we have built on that trust mm-hmm but also I've done the day-to-day -day physical, boring, lived a normal life kind of stuff. So I went from talking to dead people all the time to not seeing a dead person anywhere to oh, hang on a second, there's some dead people back again to, oh, I could now possibly do this. And yeah, I could actually do this full time. <laughs> so yeah. I've kind of gone through the whole gambit. Um, but it does take a lot of clearing out of stuff and recognizing that this is a life choice, not a job. Right. That's such a good way to put it. And I, I would love to hear what reawakened the spiritual connection. Um, but I also wanted to say that it sounds to me like your soul's path was to do this. And perhaps yeah. you had those 10 years because there needed to be a balance first before you could 
do the work perhaps yeah it, it's been referred to as a, a rewiring yeah that's yes. interesting there was, little, there was shifts and there was change and there was things that needed to, to, to happen mm-hmm. um on, on all sorts of, of levels but interestingly enough the, the coming back was the classic catalyst it was my father having cancer um and his passing very much being the catalyst that absolutely landed me right back into the world of of spirit um and also being at an age when it was more acceptable because when i was a teenager i wanted to join a circle in a spiritualist church to develop as a medium and i was refused because i was a teenager i was 14 15 years of age you didn't do that you know it was come back when you're 40 come back when you've had a life when you've lived uh, you know so when my dad died when i was 30 it was an age when they would accept me even though even then some of the older ladies did frown a little bit that I was a bit young um but I was allowed then to go in and, and work and develop whereas as a teenager forget it there was no way they were going to let me train and right. my family would have been happy for me to train but no one would have taught me yeah because I was a kid. so I know things have moved on I know younger people are developing now as mediums and that is good on the one hand, but needs to also be balanced with, they also need to go out and live a life. Yeah, of course. And there needs to be some balance with it. Right. Um, but yes, I would have loved to have started developing when I was a teenager, you know, and then I, it was proof of survival very much. It was classic mental mediumship, relaying messages from loved ones. Um, and because I could see them, mm-hmm would have sort of more you know full-blown conversations with them yeah Um, you know it would have been very rewarding but I do understand why it it had to go the way it went so came to developing when I was 30 okay and developing then as a mental medium which was the type of medium I knew I knew proof of survival I knew I've got your mother with me your uncle with me I've done that all through my childhood I got that and was quite surprised to find that there was something else going on because I knew nothing about trance. Never right. heard of it, didn't know anything about it, had never seen it. Unbeknownst to me, of course, I had always I had done it a bit when I was younger, but I hadn't put two and two together. So I had a couple of memories from earlier on that I now, in hindsight, can look back and go, ah, I'd gone into a trance then. Right um but no conscious idea of what what I was doing as a child what do you remember the experience having been um, like well I, I there's one vivid memory I had when I was a kid and I was in the living room <clears throat> watching something then the next thing I remember is my dad looking at me quite worried calling my name and the tv program I was watching had ended and then that gap I must have drifted off and gone and I had no memory I don't know what went on but whatever it was it must have jarred my dad a bit because he was like no hold on a second um and my dad did used to go and see a trance meeting I didn't know that then uh, I know that I found that out later on so he did know what trance looked like and he had seen it on many occasions so I reckon I had slipped into a trance at that time and whether or not someone was with me or someone spoke to him I have no idea and he never told me but definitely I lost a chunk of time then um 
a good half an hour, if not longer. Um, so it's like, ah, oh, okay, I must have been doing it a little bit when I was a child and just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So then when I started to do it as an adult, it was, I, I didn't think I was doing anything different to anybody else. I thought I was doing mental mediumship the same as they were because my mediumship had always been a little bit different because I saw them and spoke to them so vividly. And there was like the people I was in circle with again, that's not what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And again, guided by spirit, really lucky with the circle I was in. Several of the ladies had done some trance training with a trance medium, so knew what they were looking at. Guided, they got guided to take me to, to meet a trance medium. And, you know, so the hand of spirit was so much in it in those early days, leading me from one place to another and allowing me to develop as a mental medium because I did work as a mental medium on platform and train as a trance medium at the same time and deal with the fear that other people tried to engender in me about it. Because even today, people are still, I still come across people who are very afraid of trance. Yeah, it's it's, um, strange to watch because the person goes, as you said, into a trance. Their voice often changes. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, and it's hard to wrap your head around because um, I believe in it. So I understand it. um, And it, but it takes a big leap of faith. Whereas when you're doing uh, mediumship, for, you know, yeah, there's proof. And so I think people sometimes don't know what to make of it. It's like, yeah, how do I, you know, how do we know this is coming from, from source? How, and, and I guess that's a good question. I guess you can, you can answer, I mean, not that you need to prove anything to anybody, that's not what you're here to do, but how do you sort of explain it to somebody who's, I don't even want to say skeptical because you don't necessarily have to explain anything. Um, but if, if somebody asks you, I don't really understand what it is that you're doing, how would you explain it to them? Yeah, it, it's always a difficult one because if someone is a skeptic, I don't even bother. Yeah. They, they're totally entitled to be a skeptic. It's not my responsibility or my job to change that. If someone is coming to talk to me, they're obviously being nudged in my direction for, for a reason. And then it is, you come and you have a conversation with Master Chap. My face changes, my voice changes, the mannerisms change. And he will talk about things about your life I don't know. Yep. Um, he doesn't give proof of survival. We don't bring through messages from loved ones. We don't predict your future, but he will talk to them about their life and what's going on with them. He is really good at timeline building for people who have childhood trauma, who are trying to work out when, why, and what the root of it is, especially if they're working with therapists on their trauma on wounded inner children. He is brilliant at doing that. And I have clients referred to us for that work mm-hmm. um, because he sees it from a very different perspective. So he can see the, the whole picture of their experience and help them pinpoint where the trauma begins. Right. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know anything. And in fact, when it comes to my clients, I only want to know your name, you know, mm-hmm. and if they try and tell me things, you're not talking to me. Yeah. I don't need to know anything. So I don't ask them any questions. I don't have anything more than their name. So if he gives them information about their childhood, what their parents were like, what their life was like, that is his version of proof. Yeah. Um, 
but you always have the if it resonates you take it and if it doesn't just ignore it you just go not right yeah I'm not going to be offended he's not going to be offended you know you you will take from it what you're ready to take from it and I have clients coming up to me 10 12 years later going I've just found the recording again and I've listened to it and I should have followed his advice and done what yeah. he told me to do. Or I've done it now and I, it's so uh, things have changed and I can hear how much I was resisting. But the, what I needed was all there. And, you know, they come up time and time again. I get people coming back years later to go, thank you. I now get what he was talking to me about. Because it's always yeah. a matter of timing. Yeah. You know, he'll give you the information now when you're talking to him, but it might be a couple of years before you're ready to do anything with it. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and if they walk away from the reading and say to me, that was rubbish, just give them the money back. Sure. It happens to every, it happens to every medium, every channeler. Yeah. Take your money back. I'm not worried. You got from it what you were willing to take from it. Yes. If they will take the recording and listen to it later on I know at some point it's going to start dropping in yeah and give them what they need that's my job is to just create a space where he can do that right so it's a conversation with him and to be honest most of my clients get into the conversation to the point they forget the process mm-hmm you know, they're so engrossed in talking to Master Child, they quite forget the how it happens or the, the fact that I'm, it's a woman he's talking through, you know, all of this just disappears into nothingness. Yeah. You know, and that's why I get many clients asking me, oh, how's Master Child? Have you seen him lately? And it'd be nice to see Child. It's completely like he is a person in their life that they relate to. And that's the relationship a lot of my clients have with him. You know, and there is a different, oh, that's Sarah, that's Master Chow. And I'm looking forward to seeing Master Chow. Not so bothered whether I see Sarah or not. Looking forward to seeing Chow. Yeah. Because to to them, he is completely real. Right. Yeah. And And I'd love to. If they don't believe he's spirit. Of course. Now, so when you first got back into your spiritual practice and you were sitting in circles, giving readings, and you say that trance came to you. Do you remember the first time or one of the first times when you began to trans uh, to, to fall into trance as opposed to doing mediumship? When well, was it that uh, you started to realize, wait, I'm doing something else? I didn't really know when I was doing the mental mediumship that I was doing something different to my fellow students because from the inside, you can't feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what I was feeling was different. But I was still conscious. I wasn't slipping into an altered state then, but I was definitely being overshadowed. They were definitely beginning to lightly blend with me, even when I was doing clairvoyant messages. So there was a lot of that slipping and sliding, if you if you like, on the edge of mental mediumship, trance mediumship, we were hovering. Um, and so I wasn't really aware of it, trance per se, until, as I say, spirit guided the people I sat with. Mm-hmm. And I got a phone call at work from one of the ladies in the group saying I'm going to this workshop on Saturday and my guides have told me you're coming so I'm picking you up at your house at this time and you're coming to this workshop with me I had no idea where I was going 
no idea who we were meeting, quite nothing. I just go, okay. So turn up at this workshop and it was with a trans medium that the lady knew and had trained with. It was a trans workshop out in Kent somewhere. I don't even know where I was. We just turned up in a car, I had no idea. And basically the lady who was running the workshop, uh, Jennifer McKenzie, said, well, just sit in the chair and just do what you do. And I was like, well, I'll just sit in the chair and do what I do. And went into trance, full trance that time for the first time because there was permission mm -hmm. in the room. There was permission. It was okay for spirit to just completely come in. Whereas in the circle where I was training, it really was not okay. So that was the first time I know 100% I did something different um, and had a beautiful energy come through and speak. And I was very in and out. So not aware of all of it, but aware of the coming and the going, if you like, the stepping in and the stepping out. Um, and that it felt very, very different to what I had been doing before. Um, and that was like, okay, this is what they're talking about. This is this trance thing. Mm -hmm. And had to then work everything out from there. Um, right. and sadly, at the time, the circle I was sitting in was a mediumship circle for proof of survival and it didn't go down very well with one of the teachers when spirit wanted me to do trance in the circle it got very ugly um and that was the first time i encountered the fear it creates um and this was from an older medium who was terrified of trance and did not handle it very well, did not handle it very professionally, came from a fear-based place and just tore me to shreds. Um, so I'd had this beautiful experience of trance in this very welcoming place and then this horrendous attack from, from a well-known medium in this place. It was like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> These two things do not make sense. Um, <clears throat> so I had to really go away and go, well, hang on a minute, what's right for me? Yeah. And I could either run away from trance in, with my tail between my legs in fear, allowing that woman's fear to dominate, or I could go, no, I'm going to find out for myself what this is about. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I went, I went, okay, let's go find out what this, all, this really is. Um, and that's when I really started to train as a trance medium rather than training as a mental medium and working as a mental medium. So I work professionally as a mental medium while still having a real job mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and trained in mental medium, in trance mediumship. Um, and the more I trained, the more it was, this is home. Yeah. Um, and though I loved doing mental mediumship, it's so rewarding. I knew trance was my home. I wasn't quite expecting them to stop the mental mediumship in the middle of a church service <sighs> um which <laughs> we did um so I'm halfway through a church service doing clairvoyance and the guides my guide just said actually we really would much rather you didn't do this anymore now um and I'm standing again I'm in the middle I have a cop there's, there's people hello what do you mean yeah stop yeah well now we'd, we'd, we'd like it to stop now uh, okay and and what's going to happen oh so Chow will come in and take over um and he did he came over and he took over the rest of the service was that, that your was that your <clears throat> introduction to Chow 
No. Oh, the, he had been there before. He, he had been around. We'd been doing work before. We'd done some public work. So he'd been easing into it. Um, but yeah, that was the last time I did mental mediumship. Um, and very much the way everything is with me. It's not a quiet, gentle step. You know, it's a, no, you're going to stop now. Smack in the middle of a service. <laughs> you yeah. Um, but it was absolutely fine. He took over. He carried on talking to the audience. I explained to the audience. He then explained to the audience and everybody was really fine. It was a church where they knew me and they were very accepting and very welcoming. So again, that was an extraordinary gift. Yeah it could have blown up terribly in my face uh, you know but it didn't spirit knew what they were doing and knew that that's the best way to do it for me I don't do subtle yeah you know I do clearly defined lines um so that that was their way of doing it so but Chow had been around for a while before he, he had already introduced himself we already knew who what his name was by that point um so when they said Chow is going to do the rest, I did know who they meant. And I knew that though I was standing, because I was already standing to do the clairvoyance, I knew that he could come while I was standing and carry on and do something. I didn't know what he was going to do with them, but I knew he could come and hold his own for the remainder of the church service, which he did. Right. And that leads me to the question of when you first started uh, doing yeah. trance, I assume there were other energies that were... Or entity I don't know if you call them entities or energies that come that were coming through you and you may not have had a name or uh, absolutely yeah yeah. you you always have your training wheels when you're a trance medium you have the spirits that you start with as you begin to develop and you begin to build up the trust and your body builds up a resistance to it Um, because there are physiological changes that happen when you're doing trance your body needs to adjust your energy system needs to adjust as well as you need to psychologically adjust to the fact that, you know, I get paid to be unconscious. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the matter of fact is that it's I spend... It's the best job ever. <laughs> but it does mean I spend large chunks of my day absent from my yeah. day. You know, so that does have a psychological toll. You, you do have to think about your mental well-being as well as your physical and emotional well-being. So you start out with your training wheels, you'll start out with spirits who are at that beginning point with you. So I had lots of lovely energies. I remember there was a barmaid from Bethnal Green who came once. He was really funny. And then I worked through several of the archangels, Azrael, Gabriel, we did Malel Shadek at one point. So there was quite a few archangels I worked with. And then I had moved on to this really beautiful Tibetan monk And I never knew his name. He never gave me a name, but he had the most amazing smile. And I always knew when he was coming because my face would start to vibrate as this this big smile would come on and my cheek muscles would get, you know, twitching from it. And he had a very unusual voice. His pitch used to go up and down all over the place. But he was beautiful. He was a lovely energy. And off in the background was this Oriental man. And I was aware of his energy and other people had picked up, Sarah, there's an oriental man with you. Um, And he came forward a little bit and spoke for a little bit, but he was just the oriental gentleman. Until one day I went to meet uh, um, the senior tutor at the College of Psychic Studies where I now teach, whose job I took over. 
um, who was the trans tutor there and went into his class to continue developing the trans mediumship. And he sat me in again in a trans cabinet that night to just do what you do. And all of a sudden the Oriental gentleman went from being in the background to being right up front, announcing to the classroom who he was and having a natter. And that's how we got his name. Because he came forward and introduced himself to the group and he's never left since. Um, and that was kind of when we made the shift. So the Tibetan monk disappeared and I do miss him actually. He was such a beautiful energy. Um, and Chow and I just started from that moment to build a real relationship between the two of us. So his work has made a massive arc, you know. I mean, in the beginning, he was very fortune cookie. Yeah. You know, there was lots of little gems of wisdom and lots of, as he tried on little bits and as I got to trust him more and allowed him to talk more and allowed him to move into other areas of conversation. I mean, we went through health and we, you know, and then when he started moving much more into this more deep psychological work he does with people now with inner child and trauma, it's all growth. It's, it's all about building up the trust and allowing him the space to do that. And knowing that he's a safe pair of hands for me to have clients come and, and talk to him. And it has been years of work between the two of us to do that. Right. Um, and the first time they sort of said, well, actually we're gonna do a, a lecture. It was like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you mean you're going to do a lecture? Um, and so again, that was the next jump in it, you know, to do in the lecture. We did our first lecture in 2010. Um, and I was doing client work, which was like 45 minutes, maybe an hour, occasionally a bit longer. But a lecture, that's an hour, an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm, hold on a second, hello. Um, but they did and by that time I had another energy that works with me the oracle and they didn't come through as often but they were when they did come through they they talked to people not individuals so they were coming through a bit more in the continual development I was doing of my own work with my own sitters and, and outside of client work um and they shared the lecture between the two of them um and again, that was just like this, okay, we're just gonna push the boundary again. We're gonna yeah. get you to do a lecture. And I remember, but just like the butterflies before, and it was oh, yeah. just a real leap of faith that, no, this is what they wanna do. They're not gonna make a fool of me. They can do it. And they did, between the two of them, they did an hour and a half lecture. Um, and now we do lectures, we do a lecture nearly every year. And um, Chow will teach a two hour masterclass at least once a year. Sometimes he does two or three a year. You know, and it's that kind of taking that step as to, okay, what else can they do with the work? Yeah. You know, where else can it go? It isn't just about client consultations. It is also the lectures and the masterclasses. And these are so different. Mm -hmm. um, the depth of information and how they handle an audience is quite beautiful. That's amazing because I know when I do mediumship, I always get, even though I know that it's not me doing the work or it shouldn't be yeah. unless I'm in my head, which often that's always where I get tripped up because I'm yeah. still learning. Every time I am about to do a reading, I get so nervous because I feel like I'm about to get up on stage without any lines. And that's mm -hmm. because I am telling myself I have to come up with something and I'm practicing saying spirit, just no, I, all I have to do is sit here 
but then my brain wants to work it out. It's like, what do you mean? Just sit here and something's have faith that something's going to come out of you. And so that takes, I mean, even if someone did think you were a fake, you'd have to be pretty brilliant to be yeah. able to improv for an hour and Absolutely. a half. And actually, I remember that one, not the first lecture we did, because that really was them having a go, sussing it out live with an audience, of course, you know, but uh, yeah. it was the first one to suss it out. The following year, we did The Art of Being Human, which was their first real big, full on one subject lecture. And that was the Oracle that time. And we had a big audience. And at the end of it, we took a few questions and just, you know, how to find it. And there was this lovely man in the audience. He said, well, I'm a professional actor. And he said, I could not hold an accent and a voice that consistently for that length of time and speak for 90 minutes without a script from memory, without wavering, without waffling. He said, I couldn't do that. That's the true because I'm an actor too. And I'm yeah. a voice actor. And that's why, you know, when I listen to Abraham Hicks, for example, yeah. I think even if Esther Hicks was faking it, mm-hmm. Esther Hicks is brilliant then <coughs> because the wisdom that comes out of her in her voice and the unwavering, the confidence, any question someone in the audience has, yeah. Abraham has an answer for. Yeah. A human being would go, oh, gosh, that's yeah. a good there'd question. Be that, I, there'd be that moment, yeah. Where it's like, I don't know how to answer that. And Abraham through Esther just goes, well, it's very simple and is yeah. able to infuse humor and lightness. And it just comes out and everything that you hear is like, wow, that's, that's wise. So even if Esther was faking it, well, I'm still getting something out of it, but absolutely, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Wisdom. Even, even if, even if it wasn't spirit, yeah, you can still take something from the words. Even if you don't believe in spirit, just look at the words. Yes. Do any of those words mean anything to you? And does it matter where they came from? Right. You know, and I always say that to people with Chowan, with the Oracle, you don't have to believe in spirit. Just listen to the words. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that what audiences find when I am doing the lectures, they can feel the spirit in the room with them. Yeah. They can feel the healing that comes off. You don't get that with the audios as much, but you do when you're in the room with them. And that is the the point where those who believe will get the extra. Yeah. But those who are on the fence will have a chance to go, okay, I'm not sure that that wasn't just Sarah talking, mm-hmm. but I did like what was said. Exactly. So go with what was said. Yeah. And forget how it came. That's you know, right. because some of their wisdom is just stunning. And sometimes yeah. you sit there and you go, that's really quite funny. Um, especially with with the oracle and the child they're they're kind of talking cheese the oracle is very profound more high level in that sense communication chow can go from up here to down there you you know i mean he can have a conversation with someone about football and then be right up here talking about time space continuum the next minute he'll bounce around wherever anyone takes him where the oracle wants to be much more here in the conceptual philosophical big picture stuff you know, so they really are chalk and cheese. But what Chow is, is Chow is incredibly funny. Yes. He has a wicked sense of humour. And that disarms people and allows them to relax and allows them to have a conversation with him rather than feel, I'm in the presence of spirit and I have to be reverent and I have yeah. to listen. And it's like, no, you don't. Just have a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And even in the lectures and the masterclasses, one of the things they are so good at 
is engaging the audience and weaving in the questions and the answers back into the lecture or the masterclass they were giving. So picking up the threads that have gone on and weaving it back in, never losing a thread that someone said and a question they've asked and a piece of information and just threading it straight back in to the material of the lecture. No way I could do that as a, you know, and I no. did acting as a kid and I learned scripts. And you have you a great learn, sense of humor. It yeah, but you learn a script by rote. You know, you learn those words and that timing. You know, to be an improv, to then feed in other people's bits to it. Right. That's a whole different skill set. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's a, a lovely one when you do see an audience grasp what they're talking about and want to implement the suggestions because Chow is hugely practical. He will give them steps to follow. Right. You know, it's like if you do A, B, C, D, mm -hmm. you know, and these are the sorts of outcomes you might expect. And yes, you've got free will, so you can ignore B and jump to C if you want to, but you'll still have to come back and do B at a later stage anyhow. Yeah. You know, because that's life, <laughs> you know. So he's really good at navigating people through things, whereas the Oracle is that slightly more in-depth, you know, you, you've kind of got to be in the right space to listen to that sometimes. Right. Um, because it is slightly more conceptual. Um, so and do you, sorry, do you choose who you're channeling or you just say whoever's, you let it all happen and whoever comes through, comes through? Sometimes I will know. So if it's a masterclass, I know it's Chow. The, yeah. the master yeah. teaching is him. Um, but with the lectures, they let me know what they want to talk about and they write the description. But sometimes I don't know until the minute I sit in the chair who's actually going to deliver it. Right. Um, and I have to kind of warn people, I don't know, it could be Chow, it could be the Oracle. <laughs> um, I won't know until I sit down who's, who's coming. Yeah. Um, occasionally I do. So the end of last year, um, we did the story of incarnation and I knew up front that was going to be both of them. They had told me they were going to share the lecture. So deal with the subject from the two perspectives so I knew and I could say to people it's going to be both of them mm -hmm. a lot of the time with the lectures I don't know right and I'm just about do you Sarah how do you this is a two-pronged question one is when you first were introduced to the oracle for example and Chow, for example um how did they make you aware of who they were was it an image of them did they say hey Sarah this is my name did it happen as you were channeling? And then the second part of the question is that because when you are channeling, you go mm -hmm. into a trance and you don't mm -hmm. remember mm -hmm. what it is that you said. How mm -hmm. do you, Sarah, get so much out of what they teach? Do you listen back to recordings? Do you have an inner knowing of what they said? Yeah. Because I think you'd want to know, you'd want to be in on this. Oh, but it's a fine line. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line. So to go back to the first question, with both Chow and the Oracle, they introduced themselves to audiences. Um, so I didn't know Chow's name until he told a room full of people. I didn't know the Oracle's name until the first time they spoke. Um, so I knew <clears throat> Chow was the Oriental gentleman because he felt Oriental. They don't show themselves to me because actually that would be counterproductive mm -hmm. because you don't want to mimic. So if you have a, a look at what someone looks like, your yeah. brain can start interpreting. 
So they gave me no information at all so that I couldn't mimic, I couldn't anticipate or expect. They gradually came forward and then they introduced themselves to, to other people who then fed back to me. He's just told us his name is Master Chap. And with the Oracle was the same. They, when they first got to, the, to a level where they could speak, because they're much bigger, they're a collective. So it took hours and hours of sitting to get them to a point where they could actually even just say a word. Their first words were, what would you ask the Oracle? And that's how we got their name. So I've got it always from what they've done, right. not what they've given me. And actually the only reason I know what Chow looks like is you'll see the drawing behind. Yeah. So that's Chow and that's the, the Oracle um, is because I've had pictures done for me. Okay. Um, so Chow was so funny at the College of Psychic Studies and I was teaching trance and one of the other tutors was teaching psychic arts and we used to get on very well and our classes were on the same nights of the week and we had an idea that why didn't my students come into her class and do trance and let her students draw what my students were bringing through. So we did this joint class and had some fantastic results, but the, the, the students doing the drawings got to work with different types of spirit. Because when you're a student, you end up working with your fellow students all the time. So it challenged them. My students got this fantastic feedback from strangers, which was great. And at the end of it, Chow came forward to just have a little chat with everybody. And while he was talking, June sat to one side drawing him and he knew what she was doing. <laughs> And apparently all the way through, he kept going, yes, that's my best side. Are you getting my good side? <laughs> and so he was talking to June about the drawing, why he was talking to her students. And he was having a laugh with her because he wanted the cheeky chappy to come through in the drawing. And that's how I know what he looks like. Right. Um, and then the Oracle, the drawing that June did for me years later is a representation of them because they are a collective rather than an individual. Mm -hmm. And that was lovely. We did that together in a very different way. So my experience of them is like your experience would be of them so for me they're there i trust them implicitly and i know the essence of who they are but i've never seen them right and what do you know of the type of energy that they are um are they people that were people are they spirit guides are they angels are they ascended masters what's your interpretation <laughs> yeah, of yeah i mean they are Chow calls himself master chow as a joke yeah um, and he very much i do know um that as chow when he was chow that predates christ mm -hmm. um and the master bit is a joke and it's his joke with himself about humility because how could you ever really truly be a master of anything? Mm -hmm. And that was his teaching and his philosophy when he was Chow. And he was referred to as Master Chow by the people around him. But for himself, it was a personal joke, a reminder that you never are a master. There is always something more to learn. So he comes forward as Master Chow because it represents what he wants to do to help humanity, because we would identify with a Chinese sage more than perhaps some of his other lifetimes. He's had 18,000 of them. Um, so he knows that that is a, an icon as an image that we would all represent with wisdom. So therefore we're more likely to listen. Because as he says, if he was to step forward in his last incarnation when he died as a 12 year old boy, 
no one's going to listen to a 12 year old boy mm-hmm. so he chose Chow as a spirit being he chose Chow as the representation the persona the oracle on the other hand is a collective consciousness and the vast majority of them have never had human incarnation right so they are spirit but they're very very different so yeah. when they started talking they were very dry and at one point I got a message through from Chow going, um, I'm going to be working with the Oracle for a bit. They've asked me to teach them humor. And sure enough, there's a couple of lectures where you can hear Chow's voice in their voice. Um, and they're starting to try humor, not always very well. Um, and just as they were trying to soften their delivery, because they hadn't been human, they didn't have very good delivery mm-hmm. they were a bit too dry they were a little bit too rarefied in the way they spoke so they kind of learned from chow how to make it more accessible right. um, there is a period of time when you can hear his voice in their voice why he's teaching them humor so <clears throat> yeah we had a few fun years why they did that and then he stepped back out again um, to just be him and they're just them but they do do humor now it's very very dry but they do do humor whereas in the early days you know there was so deadpan you know very monosyllabic very deadpan so they've evolved through him helping them right so that's the nice bit of what's going on on their side and my side is to just get out of the way and let it all happen Mm -hmm. but my side is also to be a clear channel that's my job my job is to be a clear channel so as such from a child, I was told not to read books. Um, so lots of students say to me, have you read this book? Have you read that? Can you recommend a book? And I can't, because I have not read them. If I try, things will happen to stop me being able to read them. Um, suddenly my vision will go, the phone will ring, a frying pan will burst into flames in the kitchen. You know. <laughs> Something will happen so I cannot concentrate to read the book. So from a teenager I have read no books about this stuff Mm -hmm. I have slightly later on in life been able to negotiate to read a few biographies that's it (laughs) as far as we go so like Gordon Smith Mia Dolan I've read their biographies that's as far as they would let me go but to that end I also don't listen to the recordings right because that would then influence me mm-hmm. in what they say and how they say it. Yeah. So I don't listen to the recordings. I know what goes on because everybody loves to tell me. Mm-hmm. My students, my clients, my audiences, I get all the feedback I need. I never need to listen to them to know what's gone on. Um, but no, I've never actually listened to any of the lectures or any of the masterclasses. So the learning I have is direct from them or by osmosis. Yeah. Because it is coming through me, even if I'm not consciously aware of it. So it's within me somewhere, Mm -hmm. and therefore it can come to the surface if I need it. But I haven't consciously taken it in. Right, that makes sense. It's it's like you won't remember the way that he said it or what sentence he used, but you have the general understanding and knowledge that he has. Absolutely. when you are channeling, how do you get out of the way? What's your, your process for, I'm sure by now it's probably second nature, but 
I'm afraid it is. Yeah. I sit down, I close my eyes and I'm off. Yeah. I mean, it, they're really, you know, I mean, I was very lucky that because I did go to the spiritualist church I went to, I went to the London Spiritual Mission, which has a very long history. And again, of course, the hand of spirit. I learned mental mediumship by someone who was taught by Ivy Northridge. So the mental mediumship that I was trained in, I was trained to do the Ivy Northridge method. Mm. Of course, Ivy is a very famous trance medium. And she was taught how to do mental mediumship by Chan, who used to come through her in trance. He taught her how to do mental mediumship. So that's how I learned how to be a medium was with Ivy's method. And it's Ivy's method that I've expanded for the trance. So the preparation is all down to me, the working with my energy system, the setting my intent, the being prepared. But once it comes to actually doing it, it literally is a couple of deep breaths, close my eyes and I'm gone. Um, to the point that actually I sometimes get ridiculed for that because chow can come in in about 30 seconds. That's great. Yeah. For a client, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than sitting there for half an hour watching someone. Yeah. Do right. <laughs> um, so no, he's in and out in minutes, you know, 30 seconds is in, 30 seconds is out, mm -hmm. job done. The Oracle takes a little bit longer. They might take a couple of minutes, but it's still only a couple of minutes. And that's training, that's working, that's yeah. sitting hour upon hour, sitting with them coming in, going out, coming in, going out, because the time that they have with the person they're speaking to or the audience they're speaking to is precious. Right. And they don't want to waste it with people watching me deep breathe with my eyes closed. <laughs> right. You know, so it's half an hour prep before I see a client or I do a, a public demonstration or anything. That's where all the hard work gets done so that I can close my eyes and they're in like that. Yeah. And what do you think the, um, the theme, what is it that they want us to know generally? I'm sure there are a lot of things, but what do you find seems to be a common theme when the Oracle and Chow are speaking to uh, groups or individuals? What is it that they want us to know and what do they want to teach us? First and foremost, the underlying current through all of it is trying to bring us back to our soul. Modern life is not conducive to being in connection with your soul. No. So that runs through everything they do is leading us back to putting the soul in charge, back to things coming from the soul outwards instead of from the ego upward. Yeah. So it's all linked to bringing us back to that. It's all about bringing us back to the original design away from the chaos that keeps us out of the original design. It keeps us out of flow. It keeps us in suffering. So it is about coming back to how it was built to be. Um, giving us the tools to recognize the ego, giving us the tools to understand that fear is not our enemy, giving us the tools to know what the soul is, to trust the soul, to allow the soul to start leading your life and manifesting. And also, on the other side of it, helping us to see how the chaos is. Yeah. And why the chaos is and how A has got to Z, seemingly by jumping half the alphabet, you know. So they work in two halves, if you like. The bringing you in and helping you to see what is out. Mm -hmm. So that you can come back to your true self. Because if you do that, we rewrite the ship we put it all back into flow and if it's all back into flow 
the beautiful part of that is we would no longer need to talk to them. Right. Yeah. And Leo and I have had this conversation I mentioned before. I know you've spoken to Leo and we've spoken about this, that actually if we all come back to being led by our souls, to being back in oneness with ourselves, we wouldn't need mediums. Right. Because we wouldn't need to reach out to spirit for help and for guidance because we'd have all the inner guidance that we needed. Because we've got it, it's there. We've just stopped hearing it or connecting to it or trusting it. So actually, a lot of mediums' jobs would become obsolete. Yeah. And that's kind of how it should be. Mm -hmm. You know, there shouldn't be this massive need for what we do. But there is because of the chaos. Right. So actually, if we do a really good job, we will put ourselves out of business. That's true. And I wish that I wish that more people could become aware of that because you see so many people living. I mean, it's it's due to a lot of trauma. It's due to I mean, that's really it. It's it's due to a lot of pain and mental illness and trauma and indoctrination. And unfortunately, they're just those people that are just trying to survive the best they know, and they haven't had the luxury of being able to look inward. And so we have crime and violence and, um, and um, you know, extremist groups and, and all these terrible things that happen. And you just think, when are people gonna wake up? I mean, it's, it's yeah. so pervasive. But, you know, Chow constantly says, come back to the lessons. Stop looking at what the world is doing. You know, we did, um, the Oracle did a beautiful lecture of peace for the inner and outer world, which was about stop trying to get world peace when you don't have inner peace. Yeah. You know, Chow has done self-worth because that's more important than love. Love does not fix everything if you don't feel worthy. Right. You know, every lifetime we revisit three lessons that are the same. So every lifetime, these three lessons will be done again. Self-love non-judgment personal responsibility they anchor everything so if you don't love yourself you aren't going to sort anything else out if you are sitting in judgment you aren't going to sort anything else out if you are not taking responsibility for your life you are not going to sort anything else out it has to start with i mm. with self from there you then have a knock-on effect to other people that's how healing spreads yeah. Not by fixing 10 people in the world and expecting yourself to have healed in the process. It has to get turned inwards. Even meditation now, students say to me all the time, oh, I meditate. I go, okay, right, let's just back up the train a little bit. What do you actually do? I listen to this lovely guided visualization. So, right, well, that's a visualization, not a meditation. Mm -hmm. Because they don't know the difference, because the language has all got jumbled. Right. And what is the difference? So a visualization uses your imagination and is often upwards and outwards. So it takes you away from yourself. Mm. Uses the subconscious mind, can use your imagination. So it can be healing, but it's not meditation. Meditation is the inward, the inner contemplation. Going into yourself to hear your inner voice, your soul. So it's in and down. It's not up and out. So meditation brings you back into self. That's this way, not that way. So when you're visualizing, you're keeping yourself up here in your head, using all of your, your brain. No, 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 meditation down here in your guts. Right. Come down, that's why you use the breath. You use the breath to bring you down through the body to get you down to where the soul is. It's why it's contemplation. 
not imagination. Right. I never thought of that before. And how can we, yeah, how can we do that? How can we shift from the up here and get, and get inward when we're meditating? And the thing I've noticed the most about the world now, it's up and out. Everything's up. Even spirit work. You'll notice now how high can I go? I want to work with the highest. I want to raise my vibration. It's all the wrong direction. Come down. So firstly, where is your soul? And you can ask a classroom or a lecture hall of people and you will get tons of answers. And most of them will be heart chakra upwards. Right. Very few of them are in the right place which is between your root chakra and your sacral chakra, you're basically sitting on it. Mm -hmm. Which is why meditation is down, because you're allowing yourself to come back down to the soul connection, to hear the soul, your intuition, your gut feeling. It's those things are lower down in the body because those are coming up from the soul. Mm -hmm. So location is so important, location and direction. So meditation is about coming in to hear the soul, which is raising, rising up within you, mm-hmm. not coming into the head and going higher. Right. Which is why grounding is so important, because if you're not in your body, you can't hear your soul. So it comes back to the fact that you're a physical being having a spiritual experience or a spiritual being having a physical experience. No, you're both. You are a dual being of spirit and physical you are meant to be having a physical life your soul is experiencing it the body is important and daily modern life has taken us out of our bodies and you've got to come back into your body and that for a lot of people is terrifying yeah you know because there's a lot of bliss and a lot of ecstasy staying out here Mm -hmm. that's an illusion so, you know, you've got to come back into the body, you've got to ground, you've got to allow yourself to come down deeper in. It's why we have problems with our digestion, why you have, people have problems with sex drive and things around sex, because they're staying away from the lower part of themselves because they want to be up here, getting away from physical life. But that's not making physical life great. Right. That's just adding to the problem. So to meditate, it's... Breathe and allow yourself to be quiet Mm -hmm. and allow your focus to come down to your belly button and below. And just practice doing that. Just quietly practice doing that with the intent that you're allowing your soul to speak to you and you're hoping your soul will speak to you because it will. It's desperate to do it. Right. And nothing else. You don't have to do anything else. And it isn't an hour sat going om shanti. You can if you want to. Yeah. But again, if you are chanting, you're keeping yourself up here. Yeah. Because you're counting instead of just breathing. So actually strip it all the way back to the bare minimum. We've added layer and layer and layer of complexity because we like rituals. It's how mm-hmm. humans like rituals. And the more rituals we are, have, the happier we feel. But that's an illusion. The more rituals I have, the further you are away from actually being your true self. Because your soul is spirit. Your soul is symbolic, not ritual. Right. So that's the language of the soul. So when you're sitting in rituals, you're not going to get yourself back into a symbolic place, which is where your soul is, which is energy. So it's just strip it all back. That's beautiful. You know, know, and as Charles says, it's simple. Mm -hmm. 
if it wasn't simple, why the bloody hell would we put you through it? Right, right, that would right. be cruel. <laughs> you know, yeah, the whole yeah. point is the design is perfect. It has a flaw, which is free will, and that's because it wasn't their choice. That's the choice of the physical realm, nature, Mother Earth, whatever you want to call it. That's its governance is that we must be able to choose because our bodies must be able to yeah. choose. That's yeah. the nature of physical existence. So that's the flaw. That's the, the wrinkle in the design. But other than that, the design works. Right. Come back to the simplicity of it. But your ego wants to make it complicated. Social constructs want to make it complicated because that's all about control. That's I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, this will be sort of my last question before we give all of your links and yep. let people know where they can find you. What have, uh, through osmosis, what have you learned about what Master Chow and the Oracle have to say about what's been going on in the world in the last year? Oh, no, um, and yeah, yeah, and what can we learn from it? Why, what is it here to teach us? Or any okay. other thing? They, they yeah, want to share. yeah. I, it's it's a tricky one because here's the kind of thing where chow and the oracle are not fluffy yeah they don't do fluffy mm -hmm. so they do talk about things slightly different to what you might hear from other chap esther hicks for instance yeah so their take on it and as we said all along your listeners Go with it, don't go with it, use their own discernment, it's absolutely fine. So how they explain it is, this is Mother Earth giving us a little nudge. We have overpopulated, mm -hmm. and if we carry on where we are, we are driving ourselves into extinction, and we will take a lot of her wildlife and a lot of her plants and ecology with it. So this is her very, very gentle wake-up call. She could have been so much more vicious. I mean, from the, the point of view of how deadly this virus is, it's really quite low down on the scale of what she has in her arsenal. Yeah. Not to mention Yellowstone National Park. Mm -hmm. She's only got to ignite that and bye-bye humanity. Yeah. So this is her going, pay attention. And for a little while, I don't, I don't know about America and other countries so well because the news is never very accurate about any country other than your own. And even then that's questionable. Mm -hmm. But here, what we did see was compassion. We saw people thinking a little bit more. We saw people reflecting on how they were living, plant-based, vegan, all of this started to get a bit more momentum. People being more thoughtful about the environment. It, it started to create a breathing space where we could see that actually we could live differently. Because up until then, it was just an idea that none of us really believed was ever truthful. Right. So this was Mother Earth's little nudge. And here's the rub. Was it enough? Chow has said that COVID is here. This whole thing is going to go on for two to five years. So we're nearly two years into his original message with that. We've got another couple of years of, of COVID running. But this is only her initial step into trying to get us to change how we live. Because at some point we have got to change how we live. Yeah. And it isn't going to be pretty and it isn't going to be kind and gentle because we're human. We don't do things like that. Mm -hmm. We tend to need it to be loud and dramatic. 
And I just hope it isn't too loud and too dramatic and enough of us start to just change enough to pick up momentum like a rolling stone. Because we do have to look at energy consumption, food consumption, our population numbers and the way that we live. Yeah. But for now that this is just Mother Earth going, oi, take a breath, have a pause. Sadly, like all things, it hits the poor worse than it hits the rich. It hits some countries worse than it hits others. That unfortunately is because of how we as humans live. Yeah. She couldn't discriminate in that sense. Of never does. Yeah. But it is a wake up call. And if we don't pay attention, she's only going to get louder. And that's kind of where they wanted to leave people with is that she's done it this way to give us the choice to exercise our free will, to exercise our personal responsibility and to exercise our self-love. Because actually we're not living from a place of loving ourselves. We're overeating, we're not exercising enough, we're over-consuming technology to distract ourselves from our lives because we're unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know. I remember a couple of years ago they were talking you know, about the fact that the population needs to decrease. That's a big one. How do you do that without it being devastating? But also we have to start caring more about ourselves and our communities, recognizing that we are a pack animal. Mm -hmm. As humans, we are a pack animal. We do well in small tribes. We do well in small communities, small groups that are local and sustainable and, and not global global might not suit us and technology is an addiction that I don't think many people are willing to accept as of yet that they are suffering from so this is the nudge and all we can hope is that enough people begin to just shift back into thinking and paying attention and pausing for a minute to start a momentum of change so that she doesn't have to do something louder. Because, you know, the Spanish flu was more devastating than this one. I think the Asian flu in the 50s was more devastating than this one. Those are only two flus that she has in her arsenal. Right. You know, um, she wants us to pay attention. And whether you believe in Mother Earth, Gaia, the idea of nature, maybe your listeners aren't so sure about that. But maybe they will just think that actually, are they living their best lives? Yeah. You know, are they actually doing what's healthy for them? Or are they just wandering around, as as Chow says, um, art often mirrors life. And as humans, we're obsessed with zombie movies. Mm -hmm. Because you're all walking around like zombies. Mindless hungry desperate for something yeah there's a real reflection in those types of movie and the storyline behind it in how actually spirit are looking at humanity and how we are behaving and art is mirroring that's a lot of wonderful food for thought yeah i really appreciate the way that you um, so eloquently expressed that and that's something i've been feeling a lot too that this is definitely a not only a wake up call, but a pause. Yeah. We've all been running in my, I live in Los Angeles. 
Mm. It's very, I'm actually moving in a few weeks because I'm, after 25 years, I've had enough of going, 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 going and not stopping. And um, especially in big cities and places where, and as an actor where everything's hustle, hustle, hustle. I think that speaking from personal experience, this has been a time um, and I always say this not to minimize anyone's loss. Um, I know my aunt passed from COVID too. And um, she, to thank you. And and she had dementia. And so, you know, she was, I'm, I'm glad that she's, I know yeah. where she is and I'm, know she I, is. I know where she is. I know she's right yeah. here with me right now. So I'm just, I'm just happy for her soul, but it's not to minimize anyone's pain or suffering or grief, but this has been such a wonderful time to say, gosh, how do I want to live my life? I need to connect with people more. And I've actually connected people more through Zoom, even though we can't be in person, then I've really taken people for granted and connections for granted. And just all of us, I think going, maybe we don't need to commute to an office two hours in traffic every day and waste that precious time of our lives. And and so many different things, just kind of going, what do I really want out of my life? Who do I really want to be? And there's time for stillness and slowing down and stopping yep. and appreciating and saying, what's broken here and what can we fix? So to me, it feels like an opportunity um, mm-hmm. for us to really yeah. grow. Well, actually, Charles' next masterclass, which is next Saturday, is dealing with normal. Ah. Because it is that idea of normal and we all want to get back to normal, but it's really? Yeah. That wasn't so great you know do you yeah. not want to have something different do you not want to reset yeah. now you know either redefine normal or as he says now is a time to step into extraordinary yes so that's very much a theme that spirit are trying to pick up is don't lose the momentum don't waste what's happened grab it with both hands and just take that moment of reflection yeah because even a small change will have a massive impact throughout your life. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, for me personally, this has been the most transformative year I've had in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And even though it hasn't always been easy, it's been, I I feel personally, and I hope that, I I hope that other people feel this too, that um, this has been a profoundly, uh, a profound year of growth. And I, I hope that amongst all of the anxiety and the fear and the grief that people can find the light in that. The, the, I don't want to say the silver lining because that sounds a little too hokey and optimistic, but it's, it's like, yeah, I think it is about finding a silver lining. It's about finding, you you know, um, the gold that's buried in there somewhere. There's gems in there. You've just got to find them and they'll be different for everybody. Yeah. But there'll be a gem in there somewhere. Your soul will help you find it. Yeah. You know, and whether it's the change of a job or whether it's the change of pace or whether it's the fact that you actually realize, you know what, I don't need to travel. I can work from home. Or Mm -hmm. whether you've had a chance to spend time with your kids and your family that you didn't have before. Okay, you've been locked in a house with them, which may not have been the way you wanted to do it. But, you know, there's a little gem in there somewhere. Yeah. But it's up to you to find it. Right. That's beautiful. And sadly, modern day media, social media, they don't want you to find it. No. So this is about rebellion. 
I love that. That is such a beautiful place to end. Um, Sarah, this is, you are delightful and I really appreciate you sharing your insight with us today. You're very welcome. Oh, thank you again. Um, uh, please let us know where you can be found uh, so people can reach out to you. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you've got a heavy load, but where can, how can we find you to, um, you know, uh, be a recipient of your services? I'm, I'm having trouble finding words right now. That's all right. So yeah. website is transmedium.co.uk. So okay. it is what I do. Um, and you'll find me on all the social media platforms. And it's the great thing about having a double barreled surname. There are only four of us in the world and they're all related to me. So <laughs> if you put in Tyler Wolf, Sarah Tyler Waters, you will find me on Facebook, Instagram, I'm on Pinterest, Twitter. Um, so I'm easy to find. But also if you put Chance Medium UK, you'll find me. There aren't that many of us. We are a rare breed. Um, but you'll find on my website loads of content. Um, I'm constantly adding blogs and articles. I'm just moving all of my blogs and Chow's blogs actually from WordPress onto my site. So I'm adding more and more content all the time. So there's loads of free resources on there. There's a free ebook at the moment. Great. Plus there is my main ebook, um, which is about the aura. So there's lots on there that your listeners can just go and just read. And oh, just great. Enjoy as well as how to book me for consultations. I do them all, Zoom, Skype, Facebook, everything's online and has been for years. But also my teaching is all online too. So as I say, Chow's uh, Masterclass, which is on the 22nd of May, is a really good one if you are trying to make the most of this transition. If you want to grab this change with both hands, his Masterclass will give you some practical steps of how to do that. Oh, fantastic. And in the shop on my website, you'll see all the past audios. All of those are available to purchase from visualizations, actual visualizations, for instance, meeting your soul through to the lectures and the masterclasses that the Oracle and the Chow have done. So there's tons on there for people to look at. Um, some of it's free. Some of it is priced, but it's all affordable. I appreciate that. And I know that I will be looking and downloading myself definitely. So thank you again, Sarah, for taking the time and sharing your energy and insight. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.